you built this barrier that everything's perfect, but it's everything's not perfect. Okay, and if you're running a small business, nothing's perfect. It's very lonely as a business owner. There's a lot of challenges. Everyone's got problems, and no one wants to admit it. People have got to be honest with themselves, mm. and they and they really got to dig deep and, and tell people they've got a problem and reach out for help. I'll often have this conversation with how you get people more comfortable that not being okay is okay. Just think of your your business as your house. You have little fires. Don't worry. As long as that fire doesn't burn the house down. If that fire gets too big and starts to burn the house down, then jump on that fire. But you're going to have so many little fires. You're not going to have the time to put them all out. So just focus on the ones that are going to burn the house down and then get back to what drives the business. Get back to the focus of the customer. Yeah, I see this all the time where it's like, I'm in department X and I think that fire is the biggest fire. Yeah. And department Y always thinks their fire is the biggest. My fire is bigger than your fire. (laughs) For sure. And the the ability to have that sort of um, strategic lens on it around determining the importance of an issue. Mm. How how do you help your clients build on that and continue to facilitate that? Ian, how are you, my friend? Very good, Brad. Great to be here. Been looking forward to being on the show. Oh, mate, I've uh, I've been looking forward to having you on the show. We've uh, we've been chatting on and off, and you've got uh, lots in your bag of stories for all our audience. Just to, I, I'd like to do a little mini intro, but I'm not going to steal all of your thunder. Um, right. But mate, uh, you've had a really successful entrepreneurial career. Um, you've built and sold your own IT services business. Uh, that you sold to a um, a global you know, top 30 business. You've been through a lot in terms of the development of your own practice now, coaching and developing other IT services plays. That is very successful in its own right. Um, and you probably don't need to be doing this. You, it seems to be a bit of a passion play, which we'll talk about. For sure. But the other thing is, and I think for relevance for a lot of our audience, you know, there's the entrepreneurial side of your journey that I think we can unpack today. But the other interesting piece is, being part of a community of professional service providers. There are so many times where as business leaders um, and professionals that we are required to work with yep. third parties. So I'd like to go there today as well, mate, if we if it's yeah. okay. Because I know, you know, I, I've done my own work with sure. IT services providers and had my fair share of headaches. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, they're, they're lovely people, so I'm not going <laughs> to throw stones, but I think we can we can go there, mate. But maybe if you go provide a bit of background, you know, particularly around your entrepreneurial spirit and what you've achieved, can you give us a, a bit of a snapshot around where you've been and what you've yeah. achieved? Yeah, so a bit of a gypsy. I've, I've originally come from South Africa. Um, I go back to the beginning because I think it sort of highlights how I came through this journey. And it's always important because the journey really, you know, shapes a person. Mm. And I think that's the the interesting thing. So uh, I went from South Africa, finished the university, and then I went to uh, the UK. And I was supposed to go for sort of like a gap year. But back then it wasn't a gap year. It was just really to go and experience the world and ended up staying there basically for 10, 12 years. And uh, I got caught up in, into the environment of consulting at a really young age. Uh, I enjoyed it. And um, I suppose I sort of loved the idea of learning the whole time. And then as a consultant, as you know yourself, as you go to multiple clients all the time, you keep on learning. And it's, mm. it's actually a quite an a interesting, um, you know, sort of job to have as a consultant. And I always say if you're a real true blue consultant, you'll never – you never go to end user client and become an end user person and, and work 
uh, in, a, in a big corporate because you love the challenge of solving problems and taking people on their journey. Totally. You know? I totally agree. So that's the great thing about being in, in a consultant. So if anyone out there wants to be a consultant, I can 110% say become a consultant uh, is, is definitely a good choice. Um, started working there in the UK, got caught up into IT projects right at the beginning when all these big ERP projects were kicking off. Uh, you know, back in the heyday and um, got really caught up into that. And I actually started working for a small consultancy firm at about 30 people and grew to 350 people. And uh, that that was a really amazing time for me because I learned from others, mm. you know, and, you know, if, you, if you've got kids at home, they learn from you and it's it's quite shocking that you know they end up repeating things you know <laughs> that you do yes, yes. and it's sort of the same thing in in, in, a, in a business environment so how did i learn well i didn't do i didn't go and do an mba i just learned the hard way by going through this process with uh, other co-founders um that they own the business and i was just a, a worker in the business at the stage and then i had the opportunity coming to australia so i brought that knowledge came to australia in 2005 and um, worked with a, a local provider here and realized there was so much opportunity that they didn't really recognize, um, seeing what I saw in Europe and UK. So started my own consultancy firm with three other people and, um, yeah, just grew it from there. And it was an SAP services consultancy firm and they are, you know, one of the biggest software vendors out there. So that's why there are a lot of those partners out there in, the, in that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, joined that, uh, did it, we grew up to about 110 consultants. Um, had a bit of a mini offshore team in India at that stage, uh, went through a process and we decided as founders, um, someone sort of had decided to retire uh, and wanted to realize their equity in their business. So um, it was a drag out, a drag along clause and I was the one being dragged, kicking and screaming to sell the business. Um, but upset at the time, but reflection six months later was the best thing I ever did. So freed me up from the slave of my own business and it gave me a huge opportunity to look at new ventures and new opportunities. So I went through a whole trade sale to a large um, Japanese company and, uh, you know, that was quite a, quite a good experience through that process. So that was my sort of found foundation of why I got into um, coaching. Uh, I then went out and did a few things, failed at one or two things I did um, outside of uh, after that. Um, when you think you're bulletproof and you think you know everything, you still have an opportunity to fail without a doubt. And it's sort of like playing golf. You know, you hit a great ball and the next next ball you hit a, a crap ball and you brick brought right back to your earth straight away. So that's entrepreneurship 101 is, you know, it, it is a journey and you will fail. Uh, you just got to get up and keep on going over and over again. So did that for a bit of time. I then got opportunities to be on boards, non-exec type roles realized that they were quite boring. I'm at 42 at this age, still a lot of energy left in me. And uh, I then realized, you know, that maybe I, I've got to do something else. And one of the, my clients turned around and said to me, why don't you just coach us? And then I thought, well, coaching wasn't, a, you know, this is talking about nearly eight, nine years ago. Mm. Coaching, you know, is only getting bigger and bigger. So people don't really understand real coaching at the moment. I still that if you're in the US or the UK, they sort of get a grasp of coaching. Um, they sort of think of us as mentors here at the moment. Um, and there's a slight difference between that. Um, you're either a consultant, mentorative approach or coaching approach. Mm. Um, anyway, so I ended up coaching the business, enjoyed it, got so much fun out of it to help develop certain people's careers, bring up the leadership team, did some amazing stuff. 
And then um, by default, by mistake, I ended up starting a, a coaching business. And that's where I am today, basically. Here you are today with yeah. a team of 30 and yeah. lots going on. We'll, we're gonna, I'm going to pick the eyes out of that story. Yeah. There's lots of good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah right? for sure. Go for it. And I might just, I, I want to come back to um, pre-sale, right? So it's just, yeah. just for audience to understand the nature of the business you built and sold. Yeah, for sure. So when you say consulting and you say, okay, we worked with SAP, and this is just for anyone that's not familiar with this sort of work. For sure. It's a, it's a, because it, in my experience, it's a challenging business to grow. Well, yeah, from yeah. my view. And so I'd imagine there are advisory components to that consulting, working with a client to strategize on how they implement a very complex system into their Correct. organization. Correct. And then I believe there'd be a delivery component. But what does it, what did that business do from a consulting perspective? For sure. Well, look, all professional services are very similar to, to a certain degree. You are limited by the leadership or the practice managers you have in your teams. Mm. So you know your in your business as well. You you limited as well. And 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 that's the the challenge. So any consultancy firm, you know, you've got to have the core team to lead uh, an implementation. Okay. That's the first thing. You've got to have the the real people doing the real work. Um the type of advisory services we did, we would actually go through, understand the pain points at clients, large companies. We're talking about, you know, all the big companies in Australia. Um, like the Woolworths, Coles, Defence, all the big companies. Um, and they've got big problems. Mm. And if you're a consultant, you know, if they've got big problems, they will pay more money to solve those problems. Mm. And that's the thing about consulting. Um, you don't have to, you know, if you look at the McKinsey's right at the top of the apex of the predator, they are solving biggest, the biggest problems that get paid the most mm. per hourly or per rate or per outcome. And, and, and that's, you know, they positioned themselves clearly to that. So we were really uh, advisory on analytics. Uh, we would go to customers, understand where they couldn't report, couldn't understand the data, uh, was cleansed, do they really know where it was coming from, and uh, all those type of things. And we would actually go through a roadmap, a strategy uh, of bringing it all together and then put that in over a roadmap over multi-year projects in, in most cases. And and that was what the team delivered basically with SAP software solving those problems. Yeah. Map it out, design it, collaborate around how to how to do this in the most organic way, and then roll out the project for sure. So we had people that would have to understand a bit of finance, a bit of um, supply chain, a bit of different areas within businesses as well, so they could talk the language when they went and got, got that mapping out and the scoping. They had to mm. really understand that. Um, and, and so, you know, the requirements are the most important thing at that stage. And then to, once you've got that, you can map it out and you can provide a solution yeah. at the end of that. Interesting. So it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. We're going to talk to customer lens in a minute. Yeah, I good. want to talk about your own team lens. Yeah. yeah. So, much. so what makes, cause that's, that's, that, you know, and I experience this all the time, but it's, it's a unique type of person that makes a good consultant. Sure. What do you believe? You know, you just talked about the fact they have to get their head around finance, supply yeah. chain. What do you? What did you look for, and what did you see as the great traits in your consultant? As a consultant, I think it's the cultural fit for a start. I think a lot of people don't really, um, you know, understand what that really means in a consultancy environment. At the moment, people just hire people on CVs or, or art, you know, you know what what they've done in the past. For me, it's about, you know. It's bringing people together in a in a in a in an environment, multiple people from multiple uh, teams, and they've got to understand how to work together as quick as possible. Mm. I think it's a lot of people don't understand that. So, you know, we had 115 people. We had people in four, in four different locations in d different states. Um, we would fly people in from Melbourne to Sydney and work on a team. 
they would have to be from day one working as a complete team, understanding the weak strengths, who could do what in the workshop, who could do this, who could do that. And I think that's really what a consultant, if someone can understand how to work with their colleagues and the client as quick as possible, that's, and then understand the problems and then replay those problems back to the client in a way that they understand what the problems are, very important. The other thing with the consultant is clients generally don't know what is wrong with their business. Mm. Okay. And I, and I say that sounds very arrogant, but they, they don't. And that's why they get external people to come in to help find out what it is. So there's a sort of a, they know they've got a bit of a pain. Mm. They just don't know what the, if it's the kneecap or it's the ankle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And we are coming in and we understand, we look at those pain points and we go away, we deliberate as a team and we work out, no, it's not the kneecap, it's the ankle. Mm. Put better shoes on. Put some better shoes on. Well, this is this is interesting. I have the same conversation with our clients a lot of the time. We use that analogy of being a doctor yeah. and, and running an MRI or various scans or whatever is appropriate to really understand a problem because if we solve the problem poorly, we create a lot of – potentially create more damage, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so so not only is it is it the ability to build a team quickly, which requires a high degree of leadership skills, a lot of EQ, a lot of um, yeah. clarity in communication, plus subject matter expertise – is then the ability to to break down that problem in areas where you may not be the expert, but you know enough to be able to you know fundamentally understand the problem with your colleagues, right? Is that is that that's it? You've got to have a framework. So the good consultancy firms have a framework that, that you know, or a methodology and a framework how to actually run through and do that diagnostic. Mm. That's really important to the analyst part of that. Mm. So they get a consistent approach, get a consistent outcome. Uh, but a consultant's very much as an individual. Mm. So that's, it's, it's a unique, you can't, you can't rely on other people. You have to rely on yourself. You have to often wake up early in the morning and say, you know what? I didn't prep enough. I'm going to have to wake up at four o'clock and do this. So I'm ready. Okay. And that's the pressure that, you know, if you like that pressure and you can handle that pressure, that's what can real good consultants, you know, that's the level they can operate at. Obviously you get different levels of different people and like any team, in a consultancy environment, there are different players in a team and they've got to be positioned in a different uh, way to get the result. And not everyone is an A-grade player. You might have a C-grade player, but you need that in the team as well. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not being unjust, you know, horrible when I say that, but there, there's multiple types of people that you need in a team to be successful. Absolutely. And by, and by C-grade, you might be referring to someone that doesn't necessarily have the capacity to think Correct. through the problem as much, Correct. but they're excellent in executing a part of it or yeah, doing yeah. a certain area of the job. Sure. Right? And they might be like a mid-level consultant yeah. and, and, and they need, you know, they, in four or five years' time, they'll be doing, you know, have more all-round experience to do the leadership or run a workshop or, you know, run, a, run through a, pro, a program of work. You know, so it's just those type of things that they've got to learn. You learn on the job. As you know, that's why a lot of these big consultancy firms around the world have the pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And the pyramid scheme is to make sure that you work your way up. And it, it's sort of like, it, it's it's good and bad. Yep. The good thing about it is it's a proven path to get people to learn how to solve problems and 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 take ownership at the high end. Okay, there are bad things out of it. I'm not gonna go in there because I'm a bit anti the big four, big five every now and then. Um, uh, but that's that's the approach they've got, and it's been working for so long, and that's what's driving the consultancy 
uh, model, totally, basically. Yeah. And there'll be people in this uh, audience who have a construction business, a yeah, for sure. you know, plumbing company, a marketing agency, an accounting firm. Uh, <laughs> you know, some of them are employees in in different organisations. So everyone listens to this for different reasons, but they do get inspiration by the the problems we start talking about. Mm. And if you were thinking about that journey and starting mm. and, and you, that early stage phase, right? Because there are some people in this audience who are. You know, you think about the professional services, don't you? You've For got sure. a cash flow challenge, you've got to win your work, you've got to bring in those talented consultants, you need to build this engine. What's what do you think the recipe is at that early stage to get into a growth mode? Okay. So look, I think it's like everyone, you've got to be an expert in your field. That's I think the foremost ending in a services type of environment. If you're uh the bricklayer, be the best bricklayer, not just be an average bricklayer. If you want to have a, you know, uh, a building company or a uh, you know a subcontracting company that has multiple bricklayers to work on multiple projects. Be the best person out there in that area. Okay, I think it's really important. So you learn your trade and you become known for it, mm. and you become famous for something. Okay, so all the consultancy firms I work with, they've done amazingly over the last seven to eight years. I've been working with them. Um, you know, they've gone from five people to over hundred plus people. They were famous for something at some point in time. Yes. Okay. Uh, and then they got to about 30 people and then that sort of that famous, they're still famous for it, but they can move into other areas and they have then the right to expand into other service lines and make, uh, you know, you know, the bigger opportunity of clients and service those clients at a big opportunity. So starting off small, become really good at something, become the expert, become famous for that. And then straight after that part of that evolution, it's really hard to actually not be the bottleneck. Mm. Okay. So a lot of people, you know, end up being the bottleneck and they're the own worst enemy within their own organization. Even if it's a two man business, exactly. they won't grow because they aren't setting themselves up to grow. So what I, what I say to a lot of my smaller clients that I work with and that sort of size is how do we actually start to either outsource things uh, at a cheap cost that are better? To get someone else to do that if they can afford that and actually then focus on the things that are really important mm. now in a services world once you know your trade the next thing is how to do the sales mm. how of important okay so once you've done the sales is how to scale the team behind that to deliver that service and then behind that is making sure you know you've got the whole um cycle of making sure staff are happy making sure the brand's building making sure that you know you're growing geographically or regionally or wherever that is. So those are sort of the stages we go. In this IT services um, phase, uh, people can get up to about 10 people mm-hmm. um, with themselves as the, the, the core CEO, doing the sales, doing billable yep. work, doing some, you know, doing everything, jack of all trades. Yes. Have a couple of people doing some bookkeeping and things that no value add. And you get people from Philippines or something else to do some of these things at a cheap price point. That's great. Um, and when you get to 10 people, then they actually got to really switch over to how to go from 10, which is really profitable. Mm. Okay. Cause you're building, you know, probably 50% of your time and you, you're selling the work and, and you've got staff on there and you're coaching those staff cause you're on the same projects as them. Yes. That's powerful. But then you've got to make this evolution from 10 to the 30 man team. And you have to have some sales logical methodology that you can actually win more to drive more revenue, to grow the team. And you might have to hire someone that's, you know, a practice manager who sits alongside you 
you can actually take some of that load off at the top end side of things. That curve that you're talking about is consistent, I think, in nearly almost industries. The exactly. number of 10 or yeah. 12 or 3 might be subtly different depending on the game we play. But what, what I find really interesting, and you talked about sales quite a few times there, is this, this idea that often, and I think there'll be a lot of listeners that will understand this, is that you understand how to sell, but you've understood based on your intuition and your ability to be the famous person in your industry and and so on that's allowed you to get to a certain point but the framework that underpins that new that new hire that allows you to go through that scalable phase can you tell us a bit more about what you notice there when uh, founder owners are trying to disconnect right from uh, the delivery of sales and what are some of the sort of tricks of the trade you might yeah, them, so, them so anything to do with sales, I mean, if it's business to consumer, it's very different. Mm. Okay, we're talking about business to business here. And and that's that's uh, there's a unique difference between the two. Totally. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing is, when, when you're selling a service, let's say you're accounting or you're a lawyer or um, any of those type of professional services, bookkeeper, it doesn't matter what it is, um, you, you, you're selling something that no one knows really what they're getting. So, you know, if you're buying a Coke can, for example, everyone knows what a Coke can delivers, okay? And it's got a great brand strategy around it and everything else, but you know what you're getting. It's a physical product. You can see it. You, you can, can drink see it. it. You can taste pick it, it up. Yeah. You can feel it. And you feel good when you, you know, it's all that emotion that, you know, it's been pumped into us through the, you know, the decades of <laughs> marketing by Coke that, you know, gives us the reason to go and, and get that enjoyment. The problem with services, it's something that you can't touch or feel. So it's really, really hard. So it's about trust. So you've got to build trust with people because people buy from people, Brad. Exactly. I think a lot of times people forget that. People buy from people. And if you don't have that trust and that relationship, they won't understand, you know, really what they're going to get or they won't put the time and effort to understand what they're going to get. The next thing with services, you've got to educate people. Mm. So you've got to educate them really, really clearly on what they're going to get and, and, and why they need that and what problem you're solving. Um, a Coke can, I'm thirsty. Or want some sugar, pick it up, and that's the result. Okay, so I think when you detach yourself from being the only sales guy and you're hiring someone or a practice manager, you've got to start to really work out, you know, what's been your recipe so far for success, how to actually then take that and put that into, uh, you know, a stream or or a process where someone else can pick that up, and you still might have a certain part of that. So you might be the person who owns relationship. Mm-hmm. But then you have someone that comes in on a sales side and puts a proposal together, does the work around it, does the you know the, the discovery with the client and understands that. So that could be the you know the way you you go that, but you own the client. It's really good to own the client because they want to be talking to the business owner, mm. the person that's where the, the buck stops. And you know I'll be be honest when I was and it sounds very cheesy, but when I was working at some of the largest organisations in Australia. I would say to the CIO or someone, you know, at that level, when they would sign off a program of work with us, you know, you can call me any time of the day, you know, 365 days of the year, if there's a problem. Yes. Now you can't do that with an extension. You know, like, you know, that's what I used to say. They couldn't do that, obviously. <laughs> but they know who they knew. They they knew who they were phoning. Yes. Yes. They had the, my, my number in their phone. And they, they knew got, the buck stopped with you, right? That's so, right. And so. we'll make things happen. And mm-hmm. then, funny enough, it did happen a couple of times when people did phone me up. And, and, and I thought, just why does this guy phone me up on New Year's Day? 
You know what I mean? It's like, maybe pocket dialed me. I never ever heard from him. A month end reporting didn't work very well this <laughs> exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> you know, someone took out the, 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 the cable uh, um, out of a data center, something you know, crazy like it, believe it or not. But anyway, so um, going through that process, I suppose you've got to highlight where you're strong at mm. and then where you can bring someone else into that. But really, keep if ideal, we'll keep the, the, the strategy around you owning the relationship. So if that person leaves, you still got that relationship with that client. Mm. The moment you get bigger than that and get 30 plus, you're probably going to have to have people going direct and owning those relationships and you excluded from that. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm. Okay. Totally does make sense. And, and I guess for this podcast and often yeah. where we go, right, is, is getting into your head, right? And, and the education in this is really powerful for a lot of people, but also reflecting on your own experience. And if you look at that growth journey in that first business that you built and sold, what did you find the most challenging in those mature in that maturity curve? You know, there's, yeah, there's things sure. that I might find for challenging sure. and you find challenging. Yeah. What, what's what was yours? So thing? I think I think the, the the thing is when you you know you know you obviously get to a certain size and you think that basically we've got to get someone else in to to take the weight off your shoulders mm. and you know that you've got to do it, mm. but there's something holding you back. Okay, and that's. It's something you just don't know why, but you just, you know, it's not like you're selfish. It's not like you want to be famous for something in your business. It's not like, you know, you, there is something holding you back from from giving someone else the responsibility to run a, a, a serious role in your business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing um, that I battled with my first business that I ever had. I, I realized at the end of the journey that, you know, I could have given uh, – ownership or power to other people quicker yeah, it would okay. have been better for me yeah okay. okay as a person and 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 a better outcome for the, the owners of the business yeah okay nice. the shareholders yeah so i think you know the challenge with any business is you've got to really think about it and i call it the three hats you know you're the owner you're in there you're fighting day to day in the trenches you're making sure you you know you've got enough money to to feed the people you've hired and it's a big responsibility by the way you know i always say to the owners i coach if you hire someone make sure you can actually support them properly because mm -hmm. they've got families mm. and, and and everything else that goes with it. Um, so don't take it lightly. Um, but the thing I, th I suppose at the end of the day is, you know, you've got to make sure that you can handle uh, handing over that 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 permission to other people and and let go. And I see that when I'm outside of a business coaching it, I can see it very clearly. Yes. But when you're inside in the trenches, as you, <laughs> as I was, yes, I never saw that. It took mm -hmm. me a while. Interesting. Okay. So the letting go, and, and you made this comment before about yeah. being a slave potentially to the business uh, and a slave to the process of sure. exiting. What, what did that feel like for you? What was the story in your head? Why were you holding on? I mean, obviously there was a contractual yeah. agreement, but then there was this other part where you're going, sure. am I, what, why, was I, why do you think you were holding on? It was like having a kid. We started something and uh, we grew it up to a teenager and, and we had so much joy doing it. And we had such an awesome team that we built and we had such good relationships with um, our staff and even, you know, their families as well to a certain degree. And it was such an amazing story to go through that for seven to eight years as we went through that process. So I suppose our sense of belonging to that organization, and that was what we were known for. Mm. And I say this all the time to uh, some of the larger companies when they're trying to work out what to do next, okay, is, you know, if you sell your business, you, you've actually basically given away, you know, your teenager to someone else mm. and you're going to be left with nothing. So you be ready to sit around 
and mope around for six months to work out what you do or start thinking about what you're going to do next. Mm. Okay. So you have this, you have this sort of down, you know, you're on a high the whole time. You, every morning you're waking up, you're trying to solve a problem. Any small business owner, you know, what, what gives you the advantage is you wake up in the morning, you got to solve someone's problem or you're going to solve your own problem. Mm. And that gives you the motivation to wake up at 5.30, 6 o'clock, uh, get the early bus to the CBD uh, and get at 8 o'clock rather than 9.30 because you work for someone else. Yes. Okay. Um, unfortunately, when you sell your business and you exit, you lose that desire and that purpose. Yeah. And then you go, hey, what do I do now? Yeah, you're a big chunk of your identity attached to it, right? Yeah. You know, no one's phoning me every day on the week, you know, of, of the week. I'm not, you just get like 30 phone calls. Mm. I'm no longer, you know, it's, it's not it's like a popular thing, but it's just like, hey, like I'm no longer needed. So it's quite, it's quite, it's quite a sad thing. Um, so I think it's that sort of identity is, is really a big thing when you, when you have to let go and you, and that's what's holding a lot of owners back. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a, it's a big thing. You know, if you look at all the studies from all startups to exit or the entire process, that's one of the things that people don't really understand really hits you at the end. Mm. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting because I think what you're talking about is a phase where you, you're trying to recalibrate, right? And you've just come out of a period where you've been highly successful. That's the, the system around you keeps rewarding you. You've got this sure, do- sure. dopamine hit every time you do something and it rem- reminds you how good you are. Um, and, and not only that, then you, you in your case, as you said, you had a few blips, some, yeah, some, some stories that didn't work. Yeah. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your mindset around that belief system about being effective and, yeah. and thinking you knew it all. Um, and I've certainly been through this before sure. as well. You're like, okay, I can do that. I can do this. And it's not always the case. And yeah. there's all those nuances and the and the uniqueness of whatever that new uh, stage or maturity or whatever you're ready for. But I'd love for to sure. hear your story on that. Yeah, so so the, the change, you know, after six months of doing sort of nothing, staying home, you know, trying to work out what to do next, I decided to go and do another IT services firm. Mm. Okay, and I got, uh, you know, the right, sort of area to go and focus the right target. Uh, I got some awesome people on board and, and then basically, you know, grew up to about 60, 70 people at one point. And it was fantastic. Awesome, uh, uh, story at the time. Yeah. Many wouldn't call that a failure. Yeah, no, but it, it, it went, went under. So that's the challenge. It, it, Here we go. Yeah. So that was the thing. So basically what actually happened is we had some, you know, conflict at a, a, a board level, uh, issue and, um, at the same time, what happened is we had some downturn in uh, one of the biggest uh, areas we had in Queensland for a couple of the clients and held back because of the Queensland government changed tact on a few mm-hmm. things that they've heard at the time. And uh, when Labor came in straight after uh, Newman mm-hmm. and basically everything stopped and dead and, and, and the tracks and we had big deals that we were servicing, clients we were servicing and those really put the pressure on exactly the cash flow of the business. Mm. Okay. I was sort of in a non-exec type of role at that stage, basically falling asleep at the wheel. Mm. And, you know, on order cruise, thought we had everything in position and things just went wrong and we didn't rack quick enough and uh, was was not on the pipeline, was not on what was down to what was actually happening on certain clients. Mm. And before we knew it, we had no business at all. Okay, so that's the thing about a services business. You've probably got 12 weeks of runway that you really need to be focused on on actual delivery and, and deals you're landing. Mm. And then after 12 weeks to like, you know, four or five months out, it's a bit hazy 
but you got to know what you're comfortable with mm. Mm. and you got to know where you are in that pipeline. And, and the problem is we had probably too many people at too many core accounts and those were put on hold. So that's what, that's basically what happened. It's interesting that that's a 90 day cash flow forecast and, sure. and then looking out a bit further, the, uh, that idea of feeling complacent at the time, where do you think that came from? I think it's because you become so confident mm. that you've done so well in your previous, uh, you know, business venture and you think you've know everything. And at the end of the day, no, and and the, and I actually say this to a lot of the clients I coach, is the, the only reason why I think I'm half decent now, is because I'm working with on on average thirty clients a month in IT services. Hmm. I see everything. I see new business models which I never thought could actually exist or make money. Hmm. I see them make money and go, wow, look at that. That's amazing. Um, I see things that they're doing that I never thought you know should be possible, um, and I see some obviously some bad stuff. But I'm seeing a, across a kaleidoscope of things that are happening at 30 clients. My learning has supercharged. Yes. Okay. Through this process. And, and that's what makes me, um, you know, wake up every morning because I'm learning the whole time. I'm serving my community. I'm back in there and, and really uh, helping out. So I suppose I thought I knew all that, you know, nine, 10 years ago, but I didn't. Yeah. Okay. I thought I had a real control of where I was going and, and, uh, you know, I put a lot of effort into it, but probably not enough yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm sure there are people listening to this that have been in their sector running their business for a period of time and where the learning curve plateaus. Yeah. Um, and that idea of challenge now for you, you kind of manufactured it by starting another business. Yeah. Again, you can't shake that entrepreneurial spirit by sounds of things, <laughs> but. But what's yeah? What is your advice? I mean, you you went out and created a business that forced you to learn. I don't know if that was deliberate or not. But what's no. your advice around learning? Uh, look, I didn't know I'd learn this much, and uh, uh, I've got a whole. So I've got a whole. I've got coaches as well. I've got um, a couple of coaches that coach me. Okay, and um, and it's it's amazing because I'm part of you know some communities around coaching, and they're mostly US based, um, and it's amazing how they. Are learning themselves all the time. They're putting themselves through extra um, courses or extra programs to keep up updated and everything else. I was actually on a, a call with a person two days ago. They're in Vegas doing an AI three day conference, AI conference, and they're a coach. And it was quite amazing that he's actually there. He's taking the time and he's successful. So left field from what he's doing, but he says, "No, I've got to invest in myself mm. to keep on growing." Okay. Mm. So, um, I was having a chat to him about, you know, how's that changing? And he's telling me some amazing stuff. I go, oh, shit, I should have gone on that damn course as well. I should yeah. have, the conference, I should have been there. I mean, why didn't I do that? So I suppose the, the learning, um, I think, you know, once I had the failure, I thought I've got to carry on learning. I've got to get better as a person. And I suppose, um, that was one of the things that triggered me. Mm. Um, I went out and got a whole lot of books. I don't have time to read the books at the moment. Uh, I've got every good book, business book out on my shelf. I've got like 40 or 50. Um, and, uh, I'm even getting people sending me their books to review and, um, and, and comment on them from the US now. Um, but I don't even have time to do that, uh, because I'm learning so much through the work that I'm doing with my clients mm. at the moment. Mm. Okay. So, uh, I didn't start out that way, uh, Brad. I thought I want to help. I want to serve people because I've been through a few mistakes. I've had some success. I want to make sure that I can help them through that process. 
Uh, it is lonely as an owner of a business. Mm. It's very hard in professional services. Um, it's not a productized business, as we said, or you, or you can try and productize certain services, definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, so I wanted to take those people through that journey and I've made some really good friends mm. through that process and, uh, you know, lifelong friends. Yeah. You know? And some people have, I've changed people's lives by going through that and they are forever grateful. So I get f referrals now coming through, amazing referrals coming through from people that, you know, um, you've got a problem. There's only one guy's going to sort your, your stuff up, but you've got to listen to him. He's pretty direct. He's pretty frank. Go and listen to him. And then they have a call with me and they're on the call for an hour and a half with the, you know, it's supposed to be like a 15 minute call. Yep. And they'd send me an email the next day. Yeah, we signed up. We, whatever, we don't even know how much it is. We, we joined you, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's, and, and that's the passion that I bring. And, yeah. and that's what I want to give back. Uh, and yes, there are different business, business models. I do make a bit of money out of it, but that's not where, I, you know, I, I really focus on, on making my money basically. Yeah. yeah. I want to <clears throat> grab a word you shared yeah. there, which I think, ties into how you, you become a trusted advisor and, and well, the part, at least part of mm. it is that loneliness um, that you talked about with some of the owners. Oof, right? yeah, and, and, it's, and I see it with some of our clients around the fact that there's, you know, they're isolated from their team, not because they're not connected or they don't have a good relationship with them, but they're not thinking about the same problems. Yeah. And then and they're not carrying the same level of risk Definitely. and they're not carrying all the other burdens that the team don't need to think about. Mm -hmm. And that person doesn't want to push that burden down onto the team. They, they want to keep it. They think it's a safe place to keep it with themselves. For sure. There's not too many people you can talk about when, you know, cash flow is really yeah, tight. Yeah, it's not like you go down to the barbecue and go, hey, guys, you know, probably only got three months of business left, right? <laughs> um, and I'm sure you, you have those conversations. I'd be curious to hear about what sort of conversations you think reflect that loneliness that you hear a yeah, lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, Every time, it's quite amazing when you say that because when someone refers me or get a phone call and say, look, this person said I must speak to you, and then I talk to them for the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it sounds like their business is perfect. <laughs> like, it's like, why are you talking to me? It's the first, you know, eight years ago, people would phone me up and say, yeah, I've got, a, I've got this problem. Can you help me out? Well, you know, initially they wouldn't want to tell you about the problem. <laughs> they want to tell you about the business and how successful they are and everything else is going so far. And I'm going like halfway through the call, the first, you know, this is the first year or two, I'll go, why is the guy? Why, why is why he calling you to me? Why are you talking to me? So, and then, and then, I, and then, I start to realize, Brad, that there's a lot of challenges. Everyone's got problems, and no one wants to admit it. Okay, so um, I think it's honest. People have got to be honest with themselves, mm. and they and they really got to dig deep and and tell people they've got a problem and reach out for help. If it's not me, whatever, reach out to someone that can actually help them. Yeah. All right, yeah. and probably get some paid help. Don't get a mentor. Who's going to do anything for free and catch up for you with you for lunch every two months? Because he's no offense, he's not going to put the energy into trying to help you through a process to solve things. Okay, that's my view, Ryan, personally. Mm. So don't take that wrong if you're a mentor out there. But yeah. uh, you know, have someone that you can actually really count on and he's going to spend time with you. So it's very lonely as a business owner. Mm. Okay, and when you talk to these people, I know now after the year two, I go, all right. What is the pain point he's not telling me? Where is the, where is the, 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 not the one elephant, the whole tribe of elephants hanging out? Yes. Because I'm going to open that door and the, all the stuff's going to go. I'll and see then it I, eventually. Yeah. And I'll see it eventually. So they'll ask a few quick, uh, key questions like, what's utilization like? You know, what's your bank balance like? Have you got three? And I don't ask them for the funds or how much money they've got. Do you have three months' salaries kept in there? You know, I ask some very light 
painted questions. And that sort of tells me where the pain point is and I can sort of really debug that. But the pressure is always on these guys individually. Um, and it, it's quite interesting because when that evolution goes through, as we talked about maturity from like a one man, 10 man, the pressure gets bigger and bigger. Mm. You know, because mm. now you've got families to look after. You get to know the families at mm. 10 man. Mm. And then you get to 30 man and size. And now you have a leadership team, like a real leadership team. And this is what a lot of people miss out. From 10 to 30, you should really be building people around you who can take the pressure off. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and and you can share that pressure with them and actually have those honest discussions with them. So when I get involved, sometimes I get involved with the leadership team and, and I'm listening to, an, uh, uh, you know, the headline problems here. Uh, and then I'm listening to the leadership team underneath, you know, underneath the CEO who's also in the leadership team and they're two different problems. Mm. So you've got to align those problems as quick as possible. Yes. Okay. Otherwise you're not having a functionally leadership team and you've got to get that uh, teamwork aligned to solve those problems together. And the quicker you can do that, the pressure comes off the owner. Absolutely. He then starts to make best decisions. He then starts to enjoy his own business. He then starts to maybe even go on holiday. He's lucky enough. You know, these are things that actually change if you start to have a team that works around you and supports you. Yeah. Okay. And it's such a simple concept, isn't it? Right. But, you know, we, we all know this. We all know this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the number of business owners I've worked with in all sorts of industries where, you know, we'll look at things and go, well, what's the problem? Yeah. Where's the team at on it? Where's the leadership group on it? Where are your managers? Why are they not leaning into it? Now, of course, there's always a reason. For but sure. but that, that framework to help someone shift away mm. from the time they were spending in putting out fires or getting stuff For done sure. to, to being more organized yeah. around, hey, that problem now becomes a priority for everyone. Yeah, um, and that's a really good point because I was talking to a, a, one of the top leadership coach, coaches in the country who you, you know works with me on a few things with, with certain clients. And basically they were saying there, um, the, the reason why that happens, and, and, and I'll pinpoint back, back to the 10 to 30 man, is you've got these people in your team and they might be you know, a principal consultant or someone that's doing the work and, and, and you, you've, you know, you've got to know the family and suddenly you can't open up about all the other things to them because they become more of a friend. Mm. And that, therefore you've got this hesitance to tell them exactly what the problems are. But if you hire an external person in and then you stay from day one, this is what, this is the shit we're in. I need help. It's a little bit easier. So I think the challenge you have there is that you get to know these people and you can't open up to them. Mm. Well, you're, like, not, you're not willing to. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know how to. Mm, they don't know how to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you've, you've built this, you built this barrier that mm. everything's perfect, but it's everything's not perfect. Okay. And if you're running a small business, nothing's perfect. Yes. And the other thing I say to the business owners when I start with them for the first three or four months, I say, you're going to have fires, little fires everywhere in your house. Just think of your, your business as your house. You have little fires. Don't worry. As long as that fire doesn't burn the house down. If that fire gets too big and starts to burn the house down, then jump on that fire. Yeah. But you're going to have so many little fires. You're not going to have the time to put them all out. So just focus on the ones that are going to burn the house down and then get back to what drives the business get back to the focus of the customer yeah yeah completely okay. yeah it's uh it, it, i was just thinking about a few stories in my head where there have been situations where that that relationship of um different you know 
players mm. in the team and you, you used an interesting mindset there when you, you want to share the problem. You need mm. to bring some third party in. But at the same time, you know, it's still our responsibility to to hold that environment, right? And sure. you know, we can't rely on the, the consultant or the coach for everything. And I, I'll often have this conversation with how you get people more comfortable that not being okay is okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that idea that, well, there are spot fires, what we, but how do we help them see which fires are not that big For and sure. which ones are the big ones, right? Because there's, yeah, there's yeah. members of people, you know, I see this all the time where they're like, I'm in Department X and I think that fire is the biggest fire. Yeah, yeah. And Department Y thinks, Always thinks their fire is the biggest My fire is bigger than your fire. <laughs> and, For sure. And the, the ability to have that sort of um, strategic lens on it around determining the importance of an issue mm. how, how do you help your clients you know as much as you facilitate yeah. it, how do you help them build on that and continue to facilitate that so i do a re retrospect mm. so i like to go and see how processes work mm. okay so there's nine sort of main processes in um a services type of environment okay and one of them is there's normal in the industry out there there's about eight they're called but there's actually nine the way i look at it is the nine's the most important it's called the shareholder value yes so if you're not bringing shareholder value back you know, why are you doing all this? Or you're just having a job, or you created a business to, to be employed. That's fine if you want to do that. Um, but if you want to, you know, if you want to take that to the next level, then you've really got to treat your business and you've got to have a different lens of, you know, a shareholder on there, as well as yourself working in that. Absolutely. So what I do when I try and go into a new organization, and it depends because it depends on big the are, because the bigger the organization is more sort of different dynamics with people there become more of a challenge. As you would know in, in your space, mm. always, always comes down to people and, uh, you know, you don't want to, you, you don't want to step on too many toes when you, when you, we start working with someone new, you got to, you got to bide your time. You got to show your proof. Pick, pick your moment. You got to pick your moment. Exactly. But really do a retrospective on mm. each process. So mm. I'd try and do a retrospective in my mind or actually in a process. Um, I do, I've got a couple of tools to run those retrospectives on the main processes. And then I, it automatically, filters through of why, where those little fires are. Mm. And then I can go and vote on those with the team. Once again, it's about the team. Bring everyone in to vote which one of those little fires are actually a priority number one. Mm. And that then means it's their number one fire. And we're anchoring that vote against shareholder value. That's right. Yes. Because at the end of the day, the challenge you have, uh, if your business is not working, this not bringing it's not driving value to your business at the end of the day the, the other challenge with all these things when you do these retrospectives you start to see a lot of little things that need to ha happen mm. in any business mm. and i'm and that's why i say to him look that fire can burn for for the next three months two years it's not the highest priority it's not yeah. the highest priority it might not be the highest priority until you get to 30 40 people mm. so back down it's not going to be the thing that's going to you know drive the value to your business mm. so so you know, just be be aware, you know, you do these retrospectives, there is a lot of noise that comes out and there's a lot of pain that comes out. So you've got to make sure that you don't break, you know, break the business doing these retrospectives as well. So it's it's quite a challenge because it brings up a lot of anguish. You would know this. Yes. You know, it brings a lot of frustration. Oh, you know, I've been talking about this problem for two years, Brad. Hasn't been solved. I'm leaving the company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And that's the type of thing you've got to be careful when you, I suppose, when you're doing your um, your retrospectives and the same thing for me I've got to keep the team together and build the team to actually solve those problems the next challenge that comes from those retrospectives and those little fires is how to execute on just of actually um, you know taking those fires out and 
making those become a positive. Mm. And we call them a, a sort of like a mini project, initiatives, yes. how we solve those things. And that's a challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs have. It doesn't matter which industry you're in, is they have a spreadsheet with a hundred initiatives. Get rid of that. Focus on two, three things. Yes. Uh, and put that on, on, the, uh, on the objective and have a process where you can actually take to the leadership team, even if you've got 10 people, put four or five in the, in the team, bet on those as initiative. And this is why we're going to solve those two, three fires, put those fires out. Okay. And have it a six to eight weeks cycle. And once you've done that, you cut it, move on. Mm-hmm. And very quick, sharp. So you don't actually focus too much internally. Because what actually happens in services, well, everyone goes, you do retrospectives, everyone becomes inward focused. Mm. We're going to solve this world now. We're going to build Rome. We're going to build the best, the best stadium ever. They go come. No, no, no. We've still got to feed ourselves. Yeah. We've still got to feed, you know, send our kids to school. We've still got to do all these things. And that's customer first. Yes. So you've got to be customer first centric as a services environment. But we've got to fix these things up. And that's the trade-off. Yes. You know, so a lot of people go inward focus. I've got this amazing little diagram, simplified diagram where I, I, I draw a customer in the middle with all these arrows. And that, and then I, and then I draw a bigger circle and then I call it to the company and then I, I draw the, the arrows with the people's names. So this is all of you guys in the leadership team. Look at you guys. There's arrows. You all look in one way and then I write customer in the middle. Mm. Or, um, in that one scenario, I write the company's name in the middle and, uh, drag that out and I should say it's customer. That's what we should be focused on, but we're focusing on our company inward. Focused. Yes. Yes. So, uh, profound. It's so simple. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's really common on a lot of environments that I've seen where those, that 101 list or, you know, yeah. all those initiatives, they're all getting equal attention. For sure. And, and you, you drain energy. Yeah. Drain focus. Like you, you cannot believe. I went through this. I used to be disheartened. We used to go do strategy weekends away in Barrel uh, with the team that would fly in, and we'd come up with some amazing stuff. We'd be so pumped. And then I'd go back to the to to Monday and go, oh my gosh, I've got to do all this work. And I've got my day job. Yes. Okay. How does this work? And and you so I've, that that's we've got a bit of a process um, at Loading Growth to solve that uh, and help uh, our clients through that because it's a big thing with entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, I was on, on a call uh, actually with a client just before this meeting and we were brainstorming some ideas. Oh, I'll, that's, I'm starting this weekend. I said, no, please don't. Let's go through a process. Yeah. Make sure if it's really, it could be a weekend, but it's maybe in four months' time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Spend the weekend with your family. Enjoy it. Totally. And, 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 you know, it's funny. The team can also get like that as well, particularly yeah. when you do an offsite. And you've sure. got them fired up and they've fired got, up. they've started to put the ideas out there, which is great. And it's exactly what you want to see is that mm-hmm. the team are buying into the vision. You're all sitting there, but that tempering of, have got Definitely. To, we've got to just do a couple of these things first, build the momentum. I often use the framework of thinking, uh, you know, we want to find the one thing that changes everything. The one thing that makes the greatest difference on, on all. The big move the needle the most. Yes. That's yes. the way I look at it. Yeah. And of course that one thing keeps changing. Yeah. It's, it's never just one thing done. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, you know, there, there are times where I think people think that can, you know, there's, there's one silver bullet. There's not. Yeah. yeah. There's never, there's <laughs> never, there's never, it's, it's multiple little bullets that make the big bullet. Basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, you might win the battle, but it's the war that you actually got to be focused on. Exactly. You know, the long-term, uh, the focus on it. But it's interesting because it doesn't matter how big or small the customer is that I coach. 
a client of coach. Um, I had a, a call uh, late last night with a, a big company, and um, and uh, I've sort of engaged them in a different way to to how I normally engage my clients. Anyway, we talked about their last uh, you know offsite meeting. They all flew in globally to one location and did the, did the session. And I said, I bet you, you guys haven't even revisited that work. That you, that all the actions and all the initiatives that you go, oh yeah, we got a project, we got a PMO, head of PMOs doing all that. And then, then I, then I said, okay, how much have you actually done? Oh, we, we don't know. It's just fallen by the wayside. And that's the challenge with a lot of people that get these initiatives. They go on, as you say, they get hyped up, and they end up not executing it because they get lost in the noise. Mm. And, mm. and if you're a small one man guy out there or girl. Same thing is just get those two, three things. Uh, and there's a famous um, story about Rockefeller in, 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 in his days. And he had a consultant who said, um, I can come and help you uh, if I can hang around with you for a couple of days. And Mr. Rockefeller said, uh, mate, I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm a, one of the richest guys on the planet. At the time, I think he was the richest guy on the planet. I don't think I need someone to tell me you know, how to run my business. He said, look, I, I bet you I can move the needle. Okay, and basically this guy was probably, you know, the first of many consultants. He went and watched what he did, and he had a simple process at the end of the day. He said, look, I'm going to write three things down, and I can give you those three things. And every day, you've got to look at those three things from the night before. So if you haven't done all three, you left one of those items, you put two new items on that, but you finish that first one item. Eventually, you'll actually get traction, and you finish all those three items. Okay, so it's about focus. Clarity, execution. Mm. And that's the biggest thing I think entrepreneurs forget. You know, they're really good at doing their job, whatever that is, and they're famous for it because they become an expert. Mm. But they actually, when in their own business, they can't get clarity, they can't execute it, and they, you know, and that holds them back. So this Rockefeller, um, you know, it's a great case study out there Absolutely. where this guy could actually get one of the richest guys on the planet at the time to focus on three things. And only take one thing, you know. Only put something on there once something's taken off. Mm. It's lovely. It's a lovely case study, and it's just a nice, simple framework so, of the way to think about. Because we, we, we're we're just limited in time, right? We, yeah. We, we I say this to a lot of people we work with. So, okay, what's the the beauty of time is that we only have so much of it, and so we have this this beautiful position to make choice, and that that's also beautiful, but it's also challenging yeah, to uh, yeah. to be able to say right that you know in that time that we've got available, in that limited resource, what are you going to bet on? Because you can't bet on everything. The For sure. I want to go back to something you said before. You said I, I'm pretty direct. Yeah. Um, what would be one of the more direct conversations you've had to have with a client? Um, yeah, look, it's, I think, I think the reason, the reason why you got to, like, I've become direct is because, you know, if they don't listen to you or they don't want to sort of take a point of view where you say, look, this is what's going to happen three, four months out, you could see it. And if they don't listen to you, you've got to be really, you know, you're only spending so much time with them, mm. not working in their business. Yes. So I touch them. You know, maybe once every two weeks or whatever it is, I touch them. You know, in a, on a call, so I don't have much opportunity to actually, you know, flounder around and and you know go easy on the approach. Mm -hmm. But I'm working across thirty companies on average. Mm -hmm. I can see the pitfalls a lot of these people are making at certain times, and you know, I'd love to call them out as soon as possible because it saves them, you know, a lot of pain at the end. Okay, so um, you know, one of the biggest things is. People lie to themselves. Mm. 
Okay. And it's not a, I don't know, maybe I said it the wrong way, but they don't have the, 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 you know, the full vision of where they're going with their business. Mm. And, um, they really need to have total control where they're going with their business as quick as possible. And if they're lying to themselves, they can't correct it. So sometimes you sort of go to them, you know, really directly tell them, Hey, look, if you carry on this, you won't have a business in three or four months time, three or four mm -hmm. months time. So what's okay. an example of lying to oneself? That well, look, you look at the numbers. Oh, look, I'm looking at the pipeline and the pipeline looks good. You know, these things are fantastic. Okay. Let's just pull that pipeline up. Show me, let's jump on a team's call. Let's have a look at it quickly. And then I'll just drill down on the latest deals that they think they're going to close. Tell me how far you are. Ah, oh, it's, it's going to close next week. And then I listen to them. Mate, that's not closing next week. That's a two month. That's take that back. That's not closing. That's a 60 day minimum. But what you're telling me that's taking 60 days. Are we going to hire a, you know, we're going to hire a practice manager. He's going to start in two months time and he's going to bring in a million and a half revenue over the next year and a half. And I go, well, you haven't spoken to anyone. You haven't got a job spec out there. You don't know who you're going to find. The best people you need aren't looking for a job. You've got to go and hunt those guys. Mm. And then you've got to bring those, you've got to drag those guys kicking and screaming from someone else's company into your organization. And, and bring their clients if it's professional services. <laughs> and bring their clients as well. Yeah. You know, and, and, and all those type of things. So mm. I think that's the hard conversation. Like, oh, we can do it. No, it's a four-month, five-month process. Don't kid yourself. It's a top hire. It's a strategic hire. Mm. It's, you've got to take the guy out for dinner. You've got to, you know, you've got to make sure he's on the same wavelength as you are to make sure you can take, you know, your vision and his vision are sort of aligning mm. and he understands it. And that's what, you know, so some people do kid themselves that they can do things quicker and faster. Mm. And I think people, humans, are, we know this, humans are really, you know, optimistic, mm. especially, especially entrepreneurs are optimistic that anything, you know, they can solve quickly. Yes. And we know it takes a lot longer to do that. So if bringing that accountability and a lens of being realistic is really important. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I think you've got to do as a coach. Yeah. It, 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 we had this conversation with two different guests, right? Yeah. And they both agreed, but in different ways, saying that delusion isn't particularly helpful. We need to deal with reality. Yeah. But also in you know entrepreneurial landscape, <laughs> being slightly deluded helps you. For sure. <laughs> but be naive, be naive actually helps you. Mm. So if you're naive, you might, you know, shoot for the stars and you're going to hit the barn door, as Americans say, and you've actually achieved something. But if you're not shooting for the stars and you, you know, you're going for the bond or you might not even get off the ground. Yeah. You know, and that's, a, you know, that's how the Americans uh, put that into that phase. So being naive uh, or really, you know, stupid sometimes actually helps. <laughs> or, you know, and, and it's good in a good way. Yeah. Because, you know. Because the, the purpose motivates. Correct. Right. The energy that you have around something actually drives a lot more. Mm. Okay. And the energy that you have will actually make you overcome problems without mm. a doubt. Mm. And that's why I'm, I'm a big believer in the startup community as well, because a lot of these people are going to fail. Mm. Okay. Let's be honest. We look at the stats, they're just black and white, but we need them to fail. We need them to fail because you know what? If we don't fail, we don't get better. We don't iterate and we don't create new organizations out there, new businesses. Mm. And that's probably the challenge we have compared to places like in the US and Israel, where Israel and the US have got some amazing startup communities, okay? And I'm just talking about any type of startup because they've got through the psyche of we're going to fail, but we're going to fail fast and we're going to do this and we've got this energy and we've got this arrogance and 
whatever you want to call it, it's going to get us going and we're going to make a lot of money. Mm. Australia's a bit different with the tall poppy syndrome effect, certain degree. Um, you know, so what if you fail? When I failed, you know, I didn't want to tell anyone. It was like, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was, I'm not lying. I was upset about it. I'm still upset about it. Yes. You know what I mean? But I've learned out of it. Mm. I've got better at it uh, of, you know, why I failed. I've learned through it and I'm better for it. Mm. Definitely. Okay. Mm. And um, I think a lot of people have got to go out there and fail as well. Yeah. yeah it's it's easy to say. And, and as you said, in the Australian, you know, kind of social uh, you know, environment where we have that narrative around tall poppy that – we like to talk about we never want to address yeah. um is um you know is challenging but at the same time you know when i look at someone like yourself now you've failed you're in a position now where you don't necessarily need to be doing the things you're doing yeah you know financially and, sure. and so on but you you still have a drive right yeah. and, and you've got from i'm gathering this sense of purpose to the community but you you might be struggling to shake off old Ian, you know, from years Defin ago. Definitely. But tell us a bit about where your headspace is. Yeah, at now. so it's also, I'm not saying like a, it's a split, it's a split personality. <laughs> it's just water and like I take drugs for it now. Yeah. So basically, uh, um, I, I'm a big believer. If I help people, mm -hmm. it, it it comes full circle to help me. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the first principles I have, Brad. Um, is if you help people out, like you know, I, you know, I've listened to you on your podcast. Fantastic show. That's why, you know, I reached out to you, to be honest, to get onto the show, you know, and, and, uh, was, you know, to give back to the community as much as possible. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, that's my number one principle as a person is to help as people out. They'll help me in some way or form. Hey, if they don't, I don't care either. But if I help a lot of people, some will help me out. Yes. Okay. So that's my first principle. Um, number two is I love doing things and I love enjoyment of working with people. Okay. So when, when I, exited out of my business and, you know, reflected of, you know, the things that I've done well and bad through my journey of entrepreneurship. One of the things I really learned that I'm actually quite good at is building teams, mm. right? Building teams is really important and I enjoy doing that. Okay. Building a team to score a goal is better than scoring a goal by yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I love that whole process where the team scores and we go and celebrate it and we have success and everything else. So that was really around how do I do that if I'm a coach? I'm not in their business. Mm. So that's where I sort of got more into the community. I'm going to serve the community a bit more. I'm going to do that. And, and I do enjoy that. And I do live through my clients. Mm. Now, I had my 50th birthday last year, and some of my clients came to my 50th birthday because they've become friends now. Yeah, okay? nice. And, 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 and I've gone to their 50th birthdays as well and, and all that sort of stuff. So I've helped them through the journey uh, as well. You know, uh, I'm not a... I'm a business coach foremost. I don't want to be, you know, self-help the better than a coach. That's not me at yeah, all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I do, you know, want to make sure people are successful in their lives. And, and, and it's very hard in, uh, as I've been a known of the business. Where I get, do get conflict is sometimes I look at things again, like, why aren't I making more money out of this business model? Mm. Okay. And that is something that burns me every now and then. I'm going like, I'm doing all this extra work. You know, I'm worth more than this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So that, that does, does frustrate me, uh, to, to a certain degree. And, you know, I, funny enough, I have a, um, a, a shopping center with one of my ex business partners and, um, uh, we, we went on a bit of a trip to see, uh, another ex business partner of mine, um, very successful 
right at the beginning of um, uh, crypto. And when he phoned me up, he said, let's go and do crypto. I had to Google it. Uh, that's how new it was at the time. And he said, to, he said to me, let's go and do crypto. And I said, man, that sounds like a good idea. But something else came up. And I said to him, well, look, let's go and educate ourselves. And there was this first event that was happening in Vegas. And he went, anyway, he's done really well with crypto. So my other business partner said to me, and, you know, we should go and see him. So we went out and did a trip overseas to see him recently. And uh, on the way, we stopped at our shopping center we owned uh, in WA. Mm -hmm. And my business partner said to the actual people managing our property, if there's one guy you ever want, it's Ian on your side, because he's going to work the hardest for you. He's going to, you know, overvalue. He's going to over deliver. He's going to be all over us. Like, I walked away thinking, shit, this still is my problem. I've still got this problem. <laughs> Undervaluing <laughs> yourself. You might be able to teach others about that. Though. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really, it's like, shit, I'm, you know, I need to go you know, really think that model. So my model sometimes, you know, I'm overvaluing, I'm not over, over delivering. I, I've got the tendency to do that, but I do enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, I do have some levers I can pull with my business model that my team would love me to pull at some stage to, to, um, to grow the business in a different way. But at the moment, you know, it's really focused on the coaching. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on, I do have a, like a marketing team that helps some of the, um, you know, clients that go through to get the marketing going because it's expensive mm. and it's difficult to do. And I package that up and, and at a reasonable price and do it out of the Philippines for them. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't really actually make money either. When I look at the, you know, the, the rates and everything else, it's just like, geez, I could, I could sell one guy. In, in Australia yeah, and, and make the money they're making. But it's not the point. The point is it's servicing a purpose for yes. my clients. Yes. And and that's the, the, the model I have at the moment. But I have two other levers I could pull, but, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to pull those yet. Right? Mm. The old uh, entrepreneurial growth mindset yes, is, yes. Uh, is dragging you yeah. against the other the well, other side, right? I, I have a certain foundations. I want to do 10 weeks overseas a year on holiday. I've got young kids, well, 16 or 14. They're all getting old now, and I want to make sure I use as much time with them as possible. Mm -hmm. So I've got these conflicts that, you know, every business owner has. Um, it doesn't matter if you're in a coaching business or a services business, or whatever it is, or software business, you still got to have these conflicts with personal. It's a work-life balance. Totally, yeah. And I remember, you know, back in the 90s, everyone was talking about work-life balance. This is how we're going to solve it. And I've never ever solved it. Okay. So it's like, you know, I do work and then I have like life balance. You know, sort of like, I do work. This is, this is never, never this perfect model. And I was actually listening to a podcast um, yesterday and um, I woke up at five this morning and I said, I'm going to try this hack. Um, and uh, so this hack was from, from this guy uh, on the podcast in the US. He was saying, look, he decided to backfill his day. So the mornings from like, you know, five o'clock to one o'clock is his time for his business and basically for all the things he wants to focus, health, right. fitness, everything else. Um, and then one o'clock to five is for his clients. Mm. So guess what I did this morning? I get onto my calendar and I block block out, you know, five to one o'clock for the next two months. <laughs> it's gonna be a good test. Yeah, it's gonna be a good test. And then it's you know, and then it's my client's time afterwards. So, so then I can focus on my energy, my creative stuff, uh, on my programs, on my accelerators for my for my clients in the morning, which really does align to what I, I believe is the right thing for me. Mm. And then I can do action and tasks and, and all that stuff 
with the team and with my clients in the afternoon. So, hey, give me give me back on the podcast in three months' time. I'll see, see how hacks, it's going. <laughs> if that hack works or not. <laughs> well, it might, it, this is the thing I've observed over the years is that I think it's it's unique to everyone. Like yeah. the, the way that they, uh, you know, function well, where they where they get their flow, where the, where they're at in terms of their own dynamics. You know, some businesses are not going to have the luxury of that demand at certain points of time. For sure. All that. So I think you're always playing with it, right? But um, I do want to just in the towards the end of this podcast, I do want to have a bit of a discussion about something that's really in common with everyone, and that yeah. is dealing with customers. Good. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know in the IT services game, particularly, it's a it's a pretty challenging place, particularly in the implementation mm-hmm. phase. I think there's a lot of complexities. And now, I don't mind whether you are, have a marketing agency, whether you you're For a sure. construction business, whatever you do. There's there's often this gap. When you talk about selling something that's got some trust associated with it. And the final delivery. And the reality <laughs> of it, right? And so I'd love to hear a bit about, you know, these these clients of yours and obviously your yeah, previous yeah. clients, just around what it what the challenges that that they have to navigate look like mm-hmm. um when they're dealing with their clients and and perhaps some strategies that they use For to sure. do things better. Great, great point. Look, so it really depends when you sell a service to a, a customer, it's really as we mentioned earlier on, it's not a Coke can, mm. right? So you've got to really be defined in what you're going to give to the customer. They've really got to sit down and consume it. So what tends to happen, unfortunately, at this stage, right at the beginning, is they understand, look, Brad's a brilliant guy. You know, he knows what he's talking about. He's a thought leader. You know, all the things you are. Now, how, you know, so they take that belief and they will virtually, I wouldn't say sign it off, without going through it, but they won't, might not understand exactly what's going to be delivered. Okay. So that I think is really important. I think people, you know, put a piece of paper across the table to a customer and say, Hey, can you sign this off? We've been talking about three months. We've been done workshops and discoveries and this is what it is. And they go, shit, that's good. Just sign off. But you really got to go through and, and, and the, and the consultancy firm or service provider, whatever it is, they're nervous at the stage. They don't want to have this discussion because they just want the piece of paper to be signed because they spent so much time on this client. So the really that alignment actually starts right there and then mm. before the paper's even signed. So you should have a realignment touch point right before the client signs. Now, a lot of people are too nervous to do that, Brad, because mm-hmm. they just want to sign this deal because they've got so much writing on it. They've got pressure. They've got people on the bench. They've got you know all these other problems. So that's the thing. You've got to be, you've got to be ballsy enough. You've got to be, you know, man up to it and say, hey, look, we're going to deliver this outcome to a client. We've got to make sure 110% they understand it. Now, what happens on, on longer engagements or bigger pieces of work, and it could be like a two-man piece, but it could be extended a period of time, mm. is things change over time. The business change, consultants are delivering might change. The priorities of the business change. There's lots of things that get out of alignment. Mm. And you know communication is one of the biggest keys. Absolutely. All right. So this, uh, this you should over-communicate. Over-communicate. Never under-communicate to a customer. All right. It doesn't matter if you're doing an install with something at home and it's a three-week install and you're a trader. Yes. Just at the end of every day, just say, look, this is where we're at. This is what's happening. Don't tell them at the end of week two that the, the plaster didn't arrive or this guy didn't arrive my subcontract, and now we delay by another week and it's going to cost you 10% more. Mm. Don't do that. Mm. Just own up to it. Mm. Solve that problem now. Mm. Ask for forgiveness. 
Okay, so the hack there is make sure you have multiple touch points through the engagement and make sure that your alignment is always there at the alignment part. part. Mm. And if you get this uh, uh, out of alignment, pause the project as quick as possible and reconvene, realign. If there's a change of scope, sign that up and make sure that the client knows why they're getting the change of scope and understand what's actually happened. Mm. Okay? Look, I was digging a hole. Underneath that hole, we found pipes. Now we had to phone Sydney Water. You know, that could be the scenario. Yes. Whatever it is. Um, and IT services, uh, you know, it could be the legal, it could be whatever perfect the field that you're dealing with. It's the same problems. No one really knows until they actually start the implementation phase of what actually is happening. Yes. The discovery is high level. It's, you know, just get the, the things we can plug into the proposal and get a roadmap high level built. It's when that rubber hits the road is where the, the you know, the problems actually start to service. Yeah. And, and that's where you've got to be own, you've got to have that touch point through that, throughout, you know, the delivery. So it depends on how your methodology is around delivery. You should have multiple touch points. Worst case, you should just have a summary at the end of each week going to the customer saying, hey, we're on track. We're not on track. Yellow, green, red type thing. And, you know, this is how much we spent against the PO mm. or, the, mm. or the project plan. Mm. Worst case, just do a basic template. Yeah. And I think it, all of those things are really important. And I mm. wonder, because the, the, the problems start to get bigger when the cracks widen oh, around alignment, sure. right? And this sense of um, having the, the ability to see the actual problem that might be caused by the problem you're noticing yeah. is, is, is part of the alignment, right? Well, how do we help people see it's not just the pipes that we found, yeah. but the fact that those pipes are there are now going to potentially blow your budget. For sure. And that means trade-offs in terms of your kitchen being made well or your, your bathroom. It's no longer A-grade finishings, it's B-grade finishings. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Right. And then who do, who makes that decision and how do yeah. we – because we realize all of a sudden we're now in a, into a new negotiation in the yeah. middle of a project. For sure. And no one wants to renegotiate. Mm. You see, the problem is you as a business owner don't want to renegotiate because you, you worry that things are going to go off the rails and you've got people on the bench and there's problems happening. <clears throat> you've got, you know, you got workmen lined up to do the trades, whatever mm. it is. You've got stuff happening. Mm. And that's the problem. But if you don't do it, what actually tends to happen is at the end, you know, you built a house with three doors instead of five. You know <laughs> what I mean? And they can't get out to the backyard. So you've got to make sure that you actually keep that communication. And that's why if you have that um, initial discussion up front with the right stakeholders, saying to them, look, this is a project. These things happen. We are more than likely going to have a couple of potholes as we drive along this journey together. But we're professional. We're going to contact you whenever there's a problem and we're going to solve this. Now, one of the big things we do with our clients is make sure they have a, a daily scrum with the company every day. Mm -hmm. So basically what happens is, you know, if there's projects, multiple projects running in multiple clients, it gets quite, you know, it gets quite busy. Bit on, yeah. Okay. So what we do is make sure that Everyone is within, you know, a 15-minute call every day. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning or 5 past 9. Have a 15-minute call. And it sort of cascades up. So this is a bit of a hack. Which is, it's, you can do it in anything, okay, mm -hmm. any type of business. We then have a quick debrief on how the project's running. If there's an issue with the project, it gets raised up from the lower meetings to the senior meetings. Mm -hmm. So someone at the top, generally the business owner or the leaders of the business, know there's a problem within that business straight away, mm -hmm. within a couple of hours, because yes. you're running it every day. Now, the client at that point doesn't even know there's a problem. 
So you get in on the front foot, you pick up the phone, you speak to your team on the ground, you understand what the problem is, and then you phone the client straight away and you say, look, you know what? We might have an issue here. We started to dig a hole and we hit something. We don't know what we hit yet. We've got to get an x-ray machine out, whatever it is. I don't even know if you get an x-ray machine, but <laughs> it's sad. Yes. You know, we've got to really do a, a bit of thing. But don't worry, I'm letting you know that's happening now. You don't get x-ray machine out and start digging holes further and costing before you even do it. You get to tell them up front. Mm. Okay? Because then, guess what? They know it's coming. Then they're open. And then they understand the process. And then you get back to them. So even if you solve the problem, let's say, for example, within that day, this is the trigger. This is the building relationship. This is building trust. Right? This is really important. If you did solve it and you dug a hole that day and you said, look, this is not bad. We can actually do some rework here. It's not going to cost much. We will just absorb the cost. We fixed the pipe. We removed the pipe, whatever. Um, you go back to the customer and say, look, I'll just let you know there was an issue. It was raised to us through our channels. There was an issue. We've, we hit a pipe by mistake. We didn't know. We remended it and we moved the pipe in a better place and it's going to be better for you guys. Mm. Just let you know. Heads up. It's not going to cost anything. Bang. Now that builds trust. Yeah. Little win. Little win. Okay. But people forget that. People forget this is these little wins are happening every day, but they're not even communicating that to the customer. They're only communicating the bad things that happen, and that's negative. So every time you talk to the customer, the customer goes, "Oh my God, Brad's coming to talk to me about something wrong." Automatically, his arms are folded because what is Brad going to tell What's me? What's he going to tell me? Yeah, something's wrong. Oh, it's good. It's great. So you've got to share the good news and the bad news. So it's consistent selling, mm. and then you can actually build trust in the next phase of work if there is one or. There's another opportunity with another business, within the unit, within the business. It's easy to get a referral internally because you can, can actually build trust to continually sell at those organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, there's a little framework that uh, I've seen used called um, gaps and gains, mm. right? Starting with the gain, right? Leaning sure. in, what progress have we made? These are the wins. This is the, some of the stuff we didn't really? expect. We've Brilliant. sold. On the other hand, we're not going to ignore the gaps because they will yeah always be there and there's a there's a relationship between a future and where we are now now whether that's you know marketing agency where we're trying to help a client start to develop leads and we're introducing a project or whether it's an it services company or whether it's an accounting practice that sort of conversation i rarely see it yeah you know i rarely see it and it's um it, it's a good practice as you say it builds trust the confidence that comes with it for sure um, not easy yeah but important yeah. You've you got to build that into your rhythm of running a business. Mm. So it's like a little bit of a process. You've got to actually have a little flag. You know, I've got to make a phone call. Mm. I've got to check up on something. I've got to do that. Because if you don't do that, then you, you, yeah, you just don't have the time. And then you're only reacting to negative stuff. And the client only speaks to you when there's negative problems. And, and it becomes, every time I'm phoning this client, it's a, it's a pressure on me. I've, you know, it's like it's, so, it's on my soul. I, you know what I mean? I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm carrying the burden. And just the other thing is, you, you end up carrying the burden of the client as well. Yeah, it's their problem too, for sure. You know? Well, it's, it's your problem because you're not going to get paid at the end of the day. It's yes. going to be conflict. Yes, around who pays the the bill. Yeah, and know? if we don't help them learn how to solve their problem, correct, we're not going to get our bill paid at all anyway. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I think we could go round two yeah, potentially. Like, there's there's a lot in this, and and I think while you know your all of your career has been very much in the IT services space, there's so much that I think anyone listening to this will get out of that conversation. Good. Even Good. just reflecting on, you know, the 
the, your own experience of letting go, your own experiences around you know building teams, making these decisions, building systems into the business, um, the sorts of uh, the sort of conversation around delusion and and uh, dealing with all that. I mean, these are the realities, and and sometimes. Yeah, when I when I when we do this podcast, we we hear feedback that you know you've said it a certain way. Someone else says the same thing, and it just lands. For sure. Um, so I thought today was really really cool, Good. mate. Yeah, yeah. Good. You know, you know, it's it makes you think when you go through. Uh, even myself, I've got, got some sort of mental takeaways. Of you know, I want to go back and do a few things extra. You know, um, for myself because it's when you share things verbally. Mm. As you know, communication, you, you, you're bigger on it. Um, you actually start to think about it and crystallize it a bit more. I've got, you know, so I think about speaking things, that was what I do in my coaching program. We get people together and they talk about some of the challenges they have. I can say something about that challenge, hmm. but someone else, as you quite rightly said, says it in a different way that resonates with them. So I think communication, talking helps people. So if you're a business owner out there, you know, you should really talk about the problems and the challenges you have. Don't hold them back. Mm, absolutely. It's yeah. uh, actually on that, just a final note for someone. There's a little story today. We, um, myself and a colleague are working with a client and we've realized that there's a fair bit of change to go on. Yeah. And one of the things that we strategized was that the same message needs to come from different voices consistently. Brilliant. And of course, we use this theory all the time, but the, the idea around this is this, we call it the chief repetition officer. Yeah. What we, what we understand about the future might be much clearer than what other people understand. And their relationship with it is different to ours until we you know, go to get on the same page about what fire we need to be focused on. <laughs> um, so, you know, for me, I think it's a really nice, um, way to consider, uh, any sort of communication on things that matter is to, mm. to respect that it needs to be digested in order for it to be understood. And if it's understood, then it can be executed. Yeah, um, definitely. So, uh, but mate, thank you. Yeah. It's brilliant. been a pleasure. We'll, no, uh, what, and what's on the Sabo? Uh, I've got it. This, this is my admin. This is afternoon's admin. It's all about finishing up the week so that when I start Monday, I've got a clean slate. So it's all my outstanding things I haven't done. I've got to finish off. Get them done and then have a beer. And have a beer at the brewery. I own a brewery, so I have a beer there. And then basically uh, relax for the weekend. I've got some rugby to watch the World Cups on, actually. A few uh, rugby uh, South Africans are going okay. Well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm supporting the South Africans and the Aussies, obviously. Um, but, you know, hopefully one of those teams um, comes through. It's good we can have two. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a few passports. I've got a few passports. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such a pleasure, mate. Thanks, Thanks. again, mate. Uh, awesome, Brad. I appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks.